Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Aggie Wagon Podcast, a place for New Mexico State men's basketball skeptics, fanatics, doubters, and really anyone who likes basketball. I'm your host, Stephen Wagner. Let's shoot the breeze. Guys, I've got a problem, and it's that I'm coming to the realization that I have absolutely no idea what my consistent introduction for this podcast should be. I've thought about this a lot, and I've thought about a bunch of different things. Like, I thought about doing something like Colin Coward does, and I thought about doing something like The Daily does, but I'm still undecided, and it feels like the intro should have a little bit of consistency. So let me know if anyone out there has any bright ideas. Don't hesitate to shoot me an email or a DM on Twitter, but enough about that. Let's talk about some basketball. Let's dive right in. So just some quick headlines from around the conference. We've seen a few shakeups near what I think we all assumed was going to be the top of the league, and we had quite a few upsets on Saturday. Sam Houston State upset Abilene Christian 65-63 in Abilene on a shot at the buzzer for its third win of conference play and sent ACU to 2-2 two and two in whack contests. Tarleton State pulled off a huge upset by beating Stephen F. Austin in overtime, who is projected to be a serious threat for both the WAC regular season and the WAC tournament titles. And Chicago State, the Cougs, my boys, won their first conference game in nearly four years with a 58-56 shocker over Cal Baptist to end one of the longest conference losing streaks ever. New Mexico State did not fall victim to the upset bug, however, and knocked off UTRGV 85-63 to stay perfect in league play. And as of today, NMSU and Grand Canyon are tied for first in the conference standings with an absolutely unpredictable mess of chaos beneath them. And that's really where I want to start today. So here's the WAC standings as of Wednesday morning when I am recording this podcast. NMSU and Grand Canyon are tied for first. Then it's Seattle, who has only played one game because of COVID and is 1-0. Then Tarleton State, Sam Houston, Utah Valley, SFA, Abilene Christian, Chicago State, Cal Baptist, Dixie State, Lamar, and UTRGV. And I'm very well aware that we're only in our third week of conference play, but this isn't anywhere close to what I had projected before conference play began. So for comparison, here's what I had. I had NMSU, Grand Canyon, Stephen F. Austin, Utah Valley, Abilene Christian, Seattle, Tarleton, Cal Baptist, Sam Houston, UTRGV, Dixie State, Lamar, and Chicago State. So if these first three weeks of conference play are indicative of what the season's final standings are going to be, then I'll end up going four for 13 in my preseason prediction, which might be enough for some people to say that I have no idea what I'm talking about, and maybe I don't. But I think that as a member of the media, my job is to answer your questions about how and why and not predict the future. So let me try to give you a little bit of clarity about all this and how we got to this point. Now I thought about this, and my first thought was, so clearly the whack is really top-heavy, and NMSU and GCU are going to kick the crap out of everybody, and nobody else is really that much of a serious threat to those two teams, and I think that's partially true. I think I was wrong, or at least so far, it looks like I'm going to be wrong in predicting that there were probably four to five teams that had a real shot at winning the WAC, because right now it looks like NMSU and Grand Canyon are the top dogs, 
and everybody else is basically going to go back and forth with each other in the middle of the league and probably not be that serious of a threat to anyone at the top, aside from maybe ruffling some feathers with a one-off, one-game upset, which I am not ruling out for NMSU or Grand Canyon. That can definitely happen to both of those teams. I think that there's a bunch of teams that have the ability to steal a game against either of those two, but I don't think they'll be able to pose a serious threat to win the conference. And then I thought, well, I didn't think that the rest of the league just basically going back and forth with each other with a lot of mayhem and madness in the middle was really predictable. And then I suddenly realized it is predictable. It was in front of our faces the entire time. So four of the 13 schools in the conference are first-year additions from the Southland Conference that joined the WAC. That's Lamar, Sam Houston State, Stephen F. Austin, and Abilene Christian. Their preseason Ken Palm rankings were Lamar, 275, Sam Houston, 198, SFA, 138, and Abilene Christian, 172. But Lamar has dropped into the 300s, and ACU has shot up into pretty consistently somewhere between the 120 and 140 range. The average Ken Palm ranking for a WAC team when the season began was 217. The average Ken Palm ranking between those four schools when the season began was 195. What does that mean? Those schools are pretty average for the conference, maybe a little bit better than average. They aren't great, but they're decent. And these schools specifically have seen a lot of each other since basically forever. All four of those schools have been in the same conference together for the last nine years. And two of those schools brought the same head coaches with them from the Southland Conference to the WAC. And Brett Tanner was an assistant on Joe Golding's staff at ACU before he became the head coach this season. So not only are these schools' players familiar with each other, the coaches are familiar with each other too. And we've already seen a Sam Houston team and an ACU team that are wildly familiar with each other go wire to wire. Lamar gives Sam Houston a very minor scare, and SFA and ACU get into a dogfight, which is what we probably should have predicted. Because when two schools see each other as much over a decade as these Southland schools have, you become so familiarized with those coaches and that team's playing styles and identities and tendencies that upsets become more and more common. And these schools are probably going to give each other hell the rest of the season and really clog the middle of the conference and beat the lower-end schools from the old whack, like Dixie State and Chicago State and UTRGV, and then be able to compete and probably still beat um, the other older whack schools like Utah Valley and Seattle simply because they have the talent to compete with them. Here's Chris Jans. Yeah, I think I mentioned that in postgame um, um, Saturday night after the UTRGV game when asked about the league that I definitely agree there's more teams in our league that are capable of beating each other um, on any given night than there has been in the past. And you know, maybe that's a product of just having more teams in your league. You know, we have 13 teams, and obviously people are talking about the Chicago State win and you know, tip of the cap to them. I'm sure it's an exciting time, um, but you know, who knows? But I just can't imagine that as the season unfolds that there'll be a lot of um, close games, and there's going to be a lot of, of teams that um, um, you know are going to be fighting for wins. Um, it's just the way it's going to be. 
All right, so this season the Aggies have 13 scholarship players and 14 guys on the roster, which means there's one dude who busts his butt as hard as everyone else and walked on for the opportunity to play Division I basketball for NMSU. And so far he's had the opportunity to play in three games and scored the first points of his collegiate career against New Mexico Highlands. I want to welcome on the name you might not know, but one you will know once you finish listening to this podcast, Cameron Crawford. Welcome to the show, my guy. Thank you. All right, so Cameron, uh, you've all, you've obviously had a very different experience from some of the other players on the roster in that you actually walked on to the team instead of having a coach seek you out. Um, why don't you walk me through what the walk-on experience is like? Uh, what events take place that eventually finish with you getting a spot on a Division One basketball team? Um, the events that take place are just me working hard for my spot. I got to earn the scholarship, but I just have to go hard every day in practice and earn a scholarship. So I asked Chi-Chi Avery something similar last week, but uh, you came from a high school where you were, you know, pretty regularly the go-to guy. You led your team in scoring two straight years, and then you end up at a place like NMSU where you see that there's dudes like Jabari and Johnny and Teddy and these guys who have all of the God-given size that you could ask for and then talent to boot, and, you know, you're just fighting for the opportunity to be there. What's that adjustment like for you? Um, the competition level is a lot higher than it was when I was in high school. So I'm just learning from the better players, just learning what they do, learning their moves. I'm just learning a lot. Yeah. So being in a situation, um, that's just kind of outright different from everyone else. Uh, you know, what do your goals become? Um, you know, obviously there's guys like Johnny and Teddy who want to become future NBA draft picks and there's other guys who might be setting on shoot or who might be set on shooting for all conference honors. Uh, but what goals do you set for yourself individually? Um, my goal right now is just to get as good as I can at basketball while I'm here. I don't have anything specific like going to a league or anything. I'm just here to get better. Uh, obviously when a coach wants to bring a player onto the team, he gives them some sort of an idea of what their role is going to be. Um, when you were brought onto the team, what was that conversation like? What did Chris Jans or, you know, whichever coach, uh, tell you that your role was going to be with these guys? Um, they didn't specifically talk to me and give me a role, but I think I'd be more of a, three-point shooter for the team just to get threes up while I'm in the game. So but what, they didn't give me a specific goal. So, so what conversations were had then? Because, you know, obviously, you know, you're on the team for a reason. You, you, want, you want to do something. So what conversations were had? Um, there was a conversation where the coach was talking to me about I have to work hard for the scholarship. And I just have to earn my spot. What made you want to walk on to begin with? You know, what what made you want to be a part of the team to start? Um, just I just wanted to get the Division One experience because these are top tier players. I really just want to learn from all of them. So this become was a better player. 
So this was really just something that you wanted to do for the life of the, for the life of experience of being able to say, you know, Hey, I was able to go out there and I was able to do something that not a lot of people can do. And that's, you know, be on a division one basketball team. Yeah. Uh, so, so when you hit that shot against New Mexico Highlands and you scored your first career points, we saw the bench really erupt and celebrate, you know, what do you think that says about your relationship with the rest of the group? Um, I have a really good relationship with all of them. I really loved when I hit that shot, the energy in the room. Everyone just went crazy. So if you can walk on at a perennial NCAA tournament school like NMSU that has had a lot of historical basketball success, um, you can probably walk on at quite a few places. So, um, you know, kind of a bigger picture question here. How did you end up at NMSU? Was that strictly an academic decision or were there some other factors as well? Um, it was pretty much academic. I know they have computer science and it's New Mexico where I'm from. So it's pretty close to home. And yeah, that's why. Did, here. did you always know that you wanted to go to NMSU? I know where you're from. Kirtland is actually closer to Albuquerque and UNM. So did you, did you pretty much like have your mindset on NMSU regardless? Yeah, I checked out the school beforehand and I liked NMSU a lot more. So how do you feel like you're adjusting to Las Cruces so far? I know I'm still in the process of adjusting and figuring out the ways of the town. How do you feel like you're adjusting? I'm adjusting pretty well. It seems pretty big when you first get here, but after a while, it seems a little bit smaller. All right, so last question I've got for you here, and uh, this is something that I've asked most of your teammates, and I've gotten some wildly disappointing questions from, or some wildly disappointing answers uh, from basically everyone except Clayton Henry. So I'm really hoping that I'll get something from you that isn't related to fast food. But uh, so far, what's your favorite local restaurant in Las Cruces and what's your favorite dish to get there? Ooh. Um, I would say it would be um, the Italian restaurant across the street oh lorenzo's yeah lorenzo's Lorenzo's. that's local right yeah yeah that is local they 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 always cater the nmsu basketball games i've been i've been eating a lot of the a lot of those guys lately had to uh (laughs) had to to take a little bit of a break just to be able to cleanse my palate but uh you know free food's free food i'm definitely not going to be complaining (laughs) yeah we get that before almost every game home game and I just love eating it. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely makes sense. Cameron, it's been a pleasure, man. Best of luck to you, to you and you guys the rest of the season. Thank you. All right. Well, we finally made it to the way out Wagner prediction for this week's home games against Tarleton State Thursday at 7 and Abilene Christian Saturday at 4. So let's run through a quick preview. NMSU's game against Tarleton State has turned into an unexpected marquee matchup after the Texans have roared out to a 3-1 start to conference play and pulled off a massive upset in overtime at Stephen F. Austin last week, which has definitely been the biggest win of Billy Gillespie's two-year tenure at Tarleton. Thursday will be Gillespie's quote-unquote homecoming to the Pan Am, as some of you older fans might remember that he went 2-2 against NMSU as the head coach at UTEP in the early 2000s, before he ended up being the head coach at Texas A&M, Kentucky, and Texas Tech before landing in Stephenville. 
Gillespie is certainly the biggest individual name to visit the Pan Am in quite some time, and he'll do it as an underdog, looking to knock the Aggies off their whack throne and shoot the Texans into one of the top three spots in the conference. Tarleton State's 8-9 and nine record can be somewhat misleading as three of those losses were against top 25 teams on the road, and two more were at Stanford and at Wichita State. And they were within three points of number one Gonzaga and number 20 Michigan on the road with less than six minutes to play. Montre Gibson leads the nation in minutes played and leads the WAC in 40-minute games. And Noah McDavid won last week's WAC Player of the Week honors. Here's Jans on Tarleton State. You can't look at the record. I mean, nobody uh, is going to have a good record when you face those kind of teams on the road. Uh, that was tough, but... Uh, he's preparing his team for league play. Uh, they're not going to play anybody in our league that um, are, are the likes of athlete size, skill that, that they've already played. And that's a huge advantage for them. Um, and obviously, they're going to be well coached. They're going to play really, really hard. They're going to have a great game plan. Um, and and you, you better have your chin strap on when you're, you're playing Tarleton State because it's going to be physical and they're going to guard you and they're going to take you out of your comfort zone and they're going to rush you and they're going to make you uncomfortable. And, um, you know, we've played some teams that like to do that. Um, you know, UTEP likes to do that. And then ACU on Saturday will be a very similar, um, you know, mindset. So um, our, our ball handling, our passing, which has been just okay, in my opinion, thus far, will be challenged uh, at all positions. And they're like UTRGV in that they don't play a lot of traditional bigs. You know, they play more of a, forward type guy around the basket and he's very effective and that'll put some stress on us on, on matchups and how we're going to guard him so uh, there'll be a lot of challenges uh, leading up to uh, the Tarleton, Tarleton State game. Then finally on Saturday the Aggies will play an Abilene Christian team which qualified for the NCAA tournament last season and will most likely pick up its third loss of conference play against Grand Canyon Thursday night which means the Wildcats will probably be backed into a corner to avoid going 2-4 and four to start whack play when they come to the Pan Am Saturday afternoon. So I'm going to say NMSU will take care of business against Tarleton 63-52 to and beat Abilene Christian 70-63. to Folks, that's it for Season 1, Episode 9 of the Aggie Wagon Podcast. Again, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. As always, be sure to leave a like if you enjoyed the podcast. You can follow the Las Cruces Sun News' NMSU basketball coverage on our website, and you can follow me on Twitter at StephenWag22. That's Stephen with a PH. So until next time, I'll bid you folks farewell and happy trails. Under that shining desert moon, she's got a smile.